listening to OT Uncorked, where we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy and a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Miranda Rennie. In this episode, you'll hear my interview with Rochelle McLaughlin, the founder of Ways of the Rising Woman and a celebrated teacher, life coach, and inspirational speaker. Plus, this episode comes with some awesome bonus content to help us get started on the path toward more mindful living. So keep listening to the end to find out more. As you'll hear in this interview, Rochelle speaks with great wisdom, sensitivity, and authority about what it takes to live a well-nourished, empowered, embodied, purposeful, and deeply interconnected life in the modern world. Rochelle is an occupational therapist, a certified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher, and has advanced studies in humanistic psychology. She draws from an extensive background in lifestyle redesign, somatic embodiment-based practices, food as medicine, ancestral healing, mythology, alchemy, indigenous cultures, equine-assisted modalities, and poetic traditions. Her work is trauma and culture sensitive and embodies love of soul, the more than human world, the arts, ritual, and devotion, bringing all of these into a thriving and sustainable community as a kind of activism. She is the founding director of San Jose State University's Advanced Certificate in Applied Mindfulness, which is launching this fall in 2020. Michelle, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Miranda. It's an honor to be here. Before we get into our topic today, which I'm really excited about because we're talking about mindfulness-based healthcare practice and specifically what occupational therapists can learn from that, I'm curious to know a little bit about your background professionally and sort of kind of your journey to get to this point. Yeah, I, I would be happy to share. It's a bit, uh, as, as anyone's journey is, right, it's convoluted, and I'll just try to keep it succinct, but uh, I would All say- All good journeys are a little bit convoluted, so- Right, right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I graduated from San Jose State University with my master's degree in occupational therapy in 2000, and it was extraordinary. I felt like I was a skilled- you know, I, I had all of this wonderful skill behind me and support and mentorship. And I started working at a large rehab hospital in the Silicon Valley, and which was extraordinary. And uh, I was cross-trained to work um, with uh, brain injury, general rehab, people with um, who had sustained strokes. I was also cross-trained to work on inpatient spinal cord injury unit, but also with people um, in outpatient settings with neurological disorders. I was cross-trained to work in the burn unit with um, both adults and pediatrics patients. And also, of course, you know, just working in the complex dynamic that it is in healthcare with colleagues and just everything, right? And I recognize that, you know, just coming face to face with such extraordinary human suffering, really as human like catastrophe on like a profound level that it really broke my heart open. And at the same time, I recognized that I was not really able to be in a healthy relationship to it. I was really being swept 
into it and away and it consumed me, consumed my life really. So uh, at one point, I think it was like about four years in working there, I I started to develop heart palpitations. And also just to say that this isn't just my work, like, you know, our home, our own individual, you know, my own human catastrophe, as we all live our own version of that, particularly in this time of such uncertainty and unprecedented challenge. And so, but at that, so it wasn't just the work, but also my own personal life and just coming up to uh, recognizing that I just need, there was some skill set that I was longing for and I knew uh, was out there that I just, you know, was not exposed to in my lifetime. And I came upon the work of John Kabat-Zinn and out of the University of Massachusetts Medical School Center for Mindfulness. At the same time, I had started a PhD program in in humanistic psychology, and I just dove into the research of awareness and mindfulness. And anytime I noticed the integration of mindfulness, it was with uh, MBSR, which is Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And I thought, this looks like an amazing program. And I started training at El El Camino Hospital with Dr. Bob Stahl, and he is still there and teaching, um, you know, his programs have definitely broadened and he teaches all over the world now, as does John Kabat-Zinn and many of the staff from UMass Medical School. Um, But it was absolutely life-changing. And it's extraordinary, you know, I don't know if we want to get into this, but even, you know, the research around mindfulness has like exploded. And even then it was, there were like 50 studies a month, even back in, you know, I'm talking, I think this was like around 2005 is really when I started to do a lot of research around it. And so I was just blown away by the amount of research that was coming out. And that has exponentially like skyrocketed over the past maybe 10 years. And so it's really extraordinary, very inspiring that when we engage in mindfulness that we're really shifting, you know, it's like um, rewiring our brain, you know, and really um, in deep levels. And so I felt that like in my body, in my life, and I experienced it with my clients and with my colleagues and in my personal life. So I just knew that was that I really wanted to actually start teaching that as well. And I did. Well, that's an incredible journey. And really, I think probably quite relatable, at least that first part where you were describing um, having that experience of seeing suffering from other people, also while managing things in your own life as a clinician and trying to maintain that healthy relationship, like you said, is something I think a lot of us can really relate to. I know a hot topic right now is burnout. And I'm wondering if you could maybe draw a little bit of a stronger connection for us between this idea of mindfulness-based healthcare and stress reduction with this idea of burnout. Yes. And thank you for bringing that up because it brings me back to that, the piece of my story that um, I love to share about, which is that I, you know, about four years into after working with this, you know, incredible people and all this, you know, suffering is that I had developed heart palpitations that I had a heart 
monitor placed for 24 hours and noticed that my heart was palpitating like 24 seven, like even when I was sleeping. So I knew like something was going on. I went to a cardiologist and he was like, you're fine. Your heart looks great. And kind of shooed me out the door. And I thought, okay, this is not fine. Something is is not right. Okay. (laughs) However, as I started to engage in the mindfulness, it really mitigated the heart palpitations, they actually started to melt away and to go away, which was really incredible. So it was almost like this immediate biofeedback, meaning that the moment I started either like catastrophizing myself, you know, like ruminating about either past events that were stressful, or I could have done that better, or I maybe could have said it differently, or I can't believe they said that. Or, you know, we start, we go into either past thinking or future, like, I don't know what's going to happen or, you know, and we don't, I mean, right now we really don't. And so we could project a million different things, an infinite number of things on what might happen in the future. And I noticed that the moment I did that, my heart palpitations would either increase or, you know, resurface. So it was this extraordinary, like my body was just saying alert, you know, like (laughs) you, and here's a tool that I started to integrate. And so it was a, it was a tremendous skill for me to witness, you know, my own suffering, to recognize what I could do, that there were actual really practical skills that I could integrate right now that could mitigate burnout, could mitigate overwhelm, that could mitigate anxiety and help me build a greater greater degrees of stability and clarity and discernment. And it was, it's profound. It still is to this day. I feel like, especially when you're working with people who are experiencing really challenging events in their life. And like we said, in addition to our own events, I think we need to be extra mindful of our own care, of caring for ourselves. And so this sounds like it was incredibly healing for you and, and continues to be. So I think we all want to know your secret and how to practice this ourselves. And I think before we go too much further, I'd love if you could help define mindfulness because it is a hot topic word. But as you mentioned, it's also highly researched. And so I want to make sure we separate some of sort of the sort of common conversation around mindfulness that maybe isn't super accurate and maybe shift more towards what the evidence says and what your experiences with mindfulness have been. So yeah, could Mm -hmm. you kind of just define that term for us? Absolutely. Yeah. So just to clarify, you know, my lineage in mindfulness training is through UMass Medical School Center for Mindfulness developed by John Kabat-Zinn through mindfulness-based stress reduction. And the definition that we use to help point in the direction of what we are working with, which is profound, right? But it's the, it's the intentional gathering of awareness into the present moment in a non-judgmental way. And so it sounds super simple. And at the same time, it's soup, it can be extremely complex. And I can give you a great sort of OT type example that can help really land what we're talking about here. I love it. Okay, great. So just, you know, both of us sitting here or any of your listeners, just imagine for a moment the last time you took a shower, whether that was this morning or yesterday or a couple days ago, 
and just just take a moment to notice if you were actually present for the shower or while you were in the shower and also recognizing that the shower can be one of the most extraordinary sensory experiences that we can actually have in our lifetime. So we have the sensation of the warm water on our skin. We can feel the steam. We can smell the soap. We can see the steam. I mean, we can have this extraordinary sensory experience where we can actually be like deeply nourished by And also just the gratitude for the water that we have running water that's warm and, you know, all these things. We have these lovely, delicious soaps. And at the same time, you know, there are probably a couple thousand, I don't know, many thousands of showers that I took in my lifetime. And I was not only not present for them, but I was either ruminating about something that happened in the past or stressing about something that might happen in the future. And then I get out of the shower and I'm not, I've not only just missed that, but I have actually, I'm, I'm actually stressed out. Like I could be exhausted after having this extraordinary shower because I've allowed, you know, my mind is all over the place. And the thing is that it's really important to recognize that we are all really raised in a culture. I mean, I can speak from personal experience that I did not, I was not taught to be present. I was not taught emotional awareness. Mm -hmm. I was, I was basically body awareness illiterate. Mm -hmm. And so this is because we can kind of beat ourselves up about it. Like, oh my gosh, I just went through another, even especially as we start to integrate mindfulness and we're really Mm -hmm. wanting to, you know, be diligent. And it's so, you know, yes, it sounds lovely. Like I would love to be present for all of that. And yet we can beat ourselves, you know, be hard on ourselves when we aren't. But the thing is that this, it takes practice. That's why this is called a practice. And we are working with every single moment is an opportunity. Every single shower is another, you know, we have another day, hopefully if we're lucky enough to, you know, wake up and be alive, we have another shower. <laughs> and not just the shower. We have another sip of our, you know, whatever we're drinking. We have another Yay. snuggle with our loved one. We have another connection with our family via, you know, Zoom right now. Um, so there's always an opportunity to arrive. So a part of this practice is also integrating specific attitudes of kindness and self-compassion and self-care. So that as we are recognize like, oh my gosh, I just missed another shower and here I am exhausted because I was just ruminating all over the place. So that's okay too. That's, this is a part of the curriculum. The fact that now we know that's mindfulness, like suddenly we're aware and we can recognize it and now, okay, this is a brand new moment. I can actually show up for this one. So it never, it never matters that we weren't there in the shower. Mm -hmm. It only matters that we can arrive right here in this brand new moment over and over again. This one too. I feel like there's so much about what you just said though, the now trying to be in the moment, but I want to go back and and unpack it. (laughs) (laughs) But So I'm going to be a little bit hypocritical here and go into the past and think about what you said. Um, But but I feel like this, uh, something you were kind of mentioning is that we can really be hard on ourselves but I think that's true with so much that the more you know, 
the more you realize that you actually don't know. I think there's a much more eloquent way to say that, but the more we, the more we learn, you know, the more we realize that there's an infinite amount more that we could learn. And so I think that it sounds kind of similar to what you're describing where we, we realize we should be more mindful. And then this evening when I take a shower, if I forget to be mindful, I could be really hard on myself. Um, But I do love that shower example, because if we ever as OTs get discouraged that people downplay ADLs, you just made a shower like the most beautiful activity of the day. So thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what the marriage of OT and mindfulness it. is particularly potent. Yeah. Yes. You know, and I just was briefly looking in preparation for talking with you just about what's out there as far as, um, you know, research about mindfulness and healthcare. And like you said, it's astounding. It's exciting. And there's so much out there from qualitative studies that are really valuable all the way up through randomized controlled trials um, with large populations of healthcare providers. So I'm encouraged to see that this is a practice that's being taken up by people widely and especially in the research community, which tends to be a little bit sometimes slower to pick up on yeah. some of these practices. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I was I was reading, though, is that it, to be mindful, and, and please correct me if this is maybe the wrong definition, but it requires an awareness of your emotions and um, sort of that metacognitive awareness without, the word it was said, without evaluating the truth, importance, or value of what's coming to mind. Does that definition resonate with what, how you practice mindfulness? Yes, absolutely. Because it is a spacious awareness that we're Mm -hmm. cultivating so that we don't need to evaluate or conceptualize or operationalize anything. And that Mm -hmm. is complete contrast to how we're raised. That's what's so tricky about it because Mm -hmm. we are raised in, 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 you know, to be very cognitive and intellectual and conceptual and all of that's Mm -hmm. great because we need to pay our bills and we, we need to get things done and that's, you know, yes. So we need that. However, it's almost like the pendulum has swung Mm-hmm. And so uh, to the degree where we're almost like disembodied, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like as, that I was, that I really had very little to no connection with my body. And that took time to really reconnect my, this intellectual brain with this feeling embodied person mm-hmm. to honor my human experience. And that includes the full range of human emotion so that could be particularly in these times, people may, we may feel fear, anxiety, overwhelm. We may feel, um, you know, rage and anger over what's, you know, happening to the planet and to marginalized peoples. Mm-hmm. We may also, you know, as we arrive in this moment, like we we're speaking about the shower, we can experience wonder and awe and gratitude and joy and all of this is right here in this beautiful present moment. It's all here. The grief, mm-hmm. the joy, the sorrow, the rage, the wonder. It's here, all of it. And so mindfulness is really putting out the welcome app for whatever is here. It's like a radical act of self-acceptance yeah. and self-care and self-compassion. Wow. 
you know, when we're talking about this and you mentioned that we're sort of raised in such a way, and I love the way you worded it, that we're sort of, it's sad, but you know, the way you worded it was, was good. That we're sort of now maybe disembodied a little bit, but we're raised in this way. And then I'm thinking particularly about the listeners who are OTs, OTAs, OT students. And on top of just the way in our specific, um, maybe cultural experiences, we have been raised to sort of uh, reach this, this disembodied point. In addition to that, in OT school, some of the aspects of our education that really make us skilled practitioners is that process of constantly evaluating the situation, seeing what's important, identifying what's valuable about this particular intervention and what interventions do we need to stop. We're constantly evaluating and our OT process is very iterative. And I can see where that might be hard to balance with this idea of mindfulness. So I'm curious what this looks like in your practice um, and how you can maintain the sense of presence and awareness and this radical acceptance of yourself and what's happening while also constantly evaluating what needs to be happening for uh, effective therapy. Yeah, it's such a great question because if you think about, you know, what's coming to me right now is like this... um, you know how doctors and yes, as healthcare practitioners, we take an oath of like doing no harm. But how can we really do no harm if we are not really aware of what we're doing or what choices that we're making? And I also think that there's there's this again this beautiful marriage of mindfulness and OT because as OTs we really are trained to see the bigger picture to look at the whole person we're trained to see the context so i think there there are elements of occupational therapy that are actually rooted in mindfulness whether we call it that or not so it's already there and we can just as we begin to develop mindfulness and get a kind of like an embodied experience of knowing what this is you'll go aha so this is truly like embodied Mm -hmm. wise action in a therapeutic you know like really it affects the therapeutic use of self on a profound Mm -hmm. level because you're much, we become much more in tune with like our gut feeling about things and how, and we're able to really pay attention to nuances and be really aware of the needs of the situation as it unfolds and to make wise decisions. You know, we're, we always have choices to make and OTs work in such complex environments and it's an extraordinary profession. And so when you anchor it in mindfulness, it's powerful. I mean, OT is already powerful, but you add the element of mindfulness and it's, it's really, yeah. I see that there's so many demands of current healthcare environments Right. And in practice, I hear time and time again from my peers and from myself, uh, from colleagues of all different ages and experience levels, that there's so many demands. Sometimes it can be hard to integrate new skills, right? Even if we go to a continuing education course about a, a physical modality or something like that, sometimes even then it can be hard to integrate because of the time and attention and awareness and energy it takes to change our own habits. So I'm wondering if you could guide us a little bit on how to start taking steps towards more mindful practice 
um, without it feeling like this huge change that we need to change all of our habits right away. Because I, mm -hmm. I really want to lean into that sort of self-compassion self that you talked about. Yes. Of allowing ourselves to move through this in a really kind of graceful way. Yes. Yeah. So that, there's, again, lots of layers to speak to there. And so, But the one that's coming to me first, or at least right now, is that, you know, a lot of times... And here comes another cultural thing is that we're often taught that we're not okay. Like something is not, must not be right with us. And mindfulness is like a radical act of accepting ourselves as we are, no matter what, which means that, uh, and so it's like, again, it's a radical act of really mm -hmm. self-compassion, of putting out the welcome mat for our whole being in all of the, and so we're not trying to push away any experience. So you know, just we're re-arriving in the present moment in this, it's a timeless, you know, present moment and anchoring our awareness in our body, the sensations of our body. And we'll go, I know we're going to, you know, I'll lead us through a little practice later. I'm so excited <laughs> for it. <laughs> I know. And, but we can even just do it, you know, so this is the thing, cause this is what you're asking, which is like, how do we do this without making this big deal out of it and like, airing ourselves? And then we, and we make our, you know, we get upset that we're not following through on integrating yeah. like, you know, 30 to 45 minute formal practices. And I'm just not going to do it because it's just too hard because it is really hard. I mean, there's not one person probably listening to this interview that has an extra 30 minutes in their day to incorporate what looks like not doing anything. So, you know, kudos to you if you can engage in a 30 minute practice every day, you know, from your favorite meditation teacher, or, you know, there's all these incredible apps like kudos, because you're going to build neuroplasticity. OTs know about neuroplasticity. Oh, yeah. And every single moment you're going to engage in those formal practices, you're building it. So go for that if that feels right to you. And then for me, I just had to dip my toe in. Like I had to be, it was a slow integration. Uh, and it took time for me to get to the point where I knew, okay, formal practice for me is like a radical act of sanity, to be honest with you. Yeah, no. <laughs> But it took me time to get there, you know. <laughs> well, if people weren't sold yet, <laughs> right? If they can get some sanity from mindfulness. I think they're sold now. <laughs> I think we all need a little extra dose of that in our lives. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I do. So, and so, just even right now, you know, we can just feel our feet on the floor. We can maybe just kind of get a general sense <clears throat> if there's any unnecessary tension in our jaw, the muscles around our eyes our shoulders, our belly, and see if we can just take a moment to just allow that to release mm. and relax. And we can actually use intense life moments, life events. So someone says something that's, you know, hurtful or whatever, and you experience it as unpleasant and you feel yourself tighten, then you can, <clears throat> you can use your body as like a resource of like, oh, you know, there I am really like reacting to this. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> first of all, just acknowledging, okay, that was painful and hurtful. And, you know, for me, sometimes just putting my hand on my heart, extending gestures of loving kindness toward myself, 
in a way that, you know, so many of us, you know, did not have a loving mother mother in our lives. And so this is a radical act of like extending self-care and self-love to ourselves, Mm. particularly in challenging situations and events. And it actually uh, stimulates the parasympathetic nervous response that gives us, our nervous system, a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. And this is deeply healing. And so we can use our connection to our body when our body says, alert, that didn't feel okay, or whatever it is, or, uh-oh, you know, you're like on the freight train of like ruminating thoughts and now we're all, I have heart palpitations. Like my body is a great tuning fork for what's mm-hmm. going on. And so as I honor it, as I become more attuned to it and really honor it, then I can then extend those gestures of kindness and self-care, do, you know, engage in all kinds of self-nourishing behaviors, such as, you know, showing up for my showers so they can actually be nourishing rather than stressing me out. (laughs) So this is like, you know, it's a daily moment to moment opportunity for us to just drop, just, just to re-arrive in this brand new moment. And that's it. Like if that's all we did, that's transformative in and of itself. Not, no needing to sit on a, you know, fancy meditation cushion for an hour or whatever it is. We don't even need to do that. If that's more alive for you is Mm -hmm. just this kindness and self-care every single moment that we can extend that to ourselves. Well, and those moments that you're describing come up regularly in our lives. You know, those moments where somebody says something that just kind of triggers us a little bit or something in our body doesn't feel right. Um, Yes. Or like you said, now now a shower, I think, is going to be a cue for all of us. (laughs) We're going to remember. But but these moments happen all the time. So I love what you're saying, that this doesn't mean adding something extra into your schedule. It it means being aware of what's already happening, it sounds like, and how you're feeling in those moments that you're already having in your daily life. We're not trying to add something to the to the schedule. We're not trying to cram something more into your agenda book. Exactly. If that doesn't feel like the, the window, the doorway into mindfulness Mm -hmm. for you, then if, you know, formal practice doesn't feel like that, then this is the cool thing about occupational therapy is that we know the significance of meaningful occupation. So when we're talking about the quality of inter-occupational relationships. Mm -hmm. What is my relationship to washing the dishes? What is my relationship to getting dressed? You know, being human, we are mortal beings, Means which means that we, this is not going to be last forever, you know? And the fact that I have, you know, my little arms can do the work to get myself dressed, like I could actually show up for that and appreciate that. And it changes our relationship to everything when we show up for all of it, our occupation, so that it's not just about the doing because we don't, and yet we've all been trained and we wake up every day in a culture that trains us that it's about human doing and productivity standards are intense. They're off the charts. So this is a practice of compassion too, of recognizing like, okay, 
you know, being self-critical or just, you know, not paying attention, not showing, not really being present for our, you know, getting dressed or brushing my teeth or, you know, we're in, we live in a, we swim in a soup of productivity, like just get it done and move on and fill time, right? Instead of like, okay, this is a radical shift in my relationship to the present moment. Like I'm going to really arrive here. And then all of then gratitude and appreciation and awe and wonder all spill forth from this place of presence and recognizing what we have, even in the midst of maybe potentially our lives being turned upside down, particularly mm-hmm. now in COVID. Right. Since you brought up COVID, I, because I'm involved in sort of this OT online community throughout this whole process. And so um, we are recording kind of in the middle of this. We don't know what's happening quite yet. Um, We don't, by the time this goes live, um, who knows what'll be happening. It's a day by day uh, process of changing, Mm -hmm. but I've been noticing just on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, even among the OT community and, and others as well, this acknowledgement of, of I'm so you know I'm so anxious I don't I don't know what to do or I'm just I'm not okay and I I see this kind of tension because on one hand I think people are seeking out that that gratitude and appreciation and really just trying to be thankful for what they have as a means of boosting their um sort of like mental health but then on the other hand there's people who are saying I can't pretend to be grateful right now I'm just anxious and I don't know what to do but I see that you're kind of drawing this connection there that and please correct me if I'm wrong. It's just what I'm yeah. understanding mm-hmm. is that it's coming from this place of acknowledging all of those emotions and feelings and physiological states happening all at once, but then moving towards gratitude. And so I guess I'm wondering for those people who are who are currently in a state where they realize they've got a whole lot of emotions and, and issues going on right now, how do they move past that awareness of it into the gratitude that you're describing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is such a, a such an essential part of this work. So, uh, and there's a term that's coming to mind. I don't know if everyone's heard this before, but spiritual bypassing is Ooh, a potential pitfall. Yeah, it's a potential pitfall of any kind of spiritual practice. And mindfulness, you know, may be spiritual practice for some and may be a very practical practice. So it doesn't have mm-hmm. to, you know. Um, but what we could use mindfulness as a way to numb out and or numb over and check out. And that's, you know, we're not wanting to do that. So for example, for me, when the heart palpitations were really like in my face uh, and I was really integrating mindfulness in those times of like profound stress, at least in the lineage that I'm trained in, and I believe most mindfulness training is this way, which is we are acknowledging. It's like a radical act of acknowledging our human experience just as it is. So we're, it's, you know, self-acceptance, being whole, like H-O, or W-H-O-L-E, being whole, recognizing our own wholeness completely as we are. And complete as we are. That's, it's the only place to, to begin 
because as we arrive here and we come up with and recognizing our own anxiety because i bet on a, i bet every single person right now on the planet onto some level maybe experiencing anxiety you know fear mm-hmm. uh related to what's you know this is a global pandemic right and so it's really about arriving fully and putting out the welcome mat for what mm-hmm. is here in a really sustained way. Mm. And in from that place, it's almost as though we are, again, we're like extending that loving mother that we need, that our feelings just need to be seen and heard and acknowledged and honored first before mm. anything is going to shift. Otherwise, it's like putting a Band-Aid over a giant wound that is just going to, it's going to, it could just continue to fester, which I feel like I really felt that myself. When I first noticed the heart palpitations, I was like afraid of it. And then the more I noticed it, it sort of exacerbated. I felt like I was getting worse because it was scaring me. So there's a couple things that we're, we're, we're developing, which is, you know, using the the tool of body awareness to keep ourselves grounded. So we're connecting to like a source of stability and groundedness as we are attuning to, it's like the waves on the top of an ocean. So when we feeling, when we're feeling anxiety and overwhelm, it's, there's maybe big waves. And so we're, we're paying attention to that. And at the same time with this practice, we're also going deeper and we can sense that there is a stillness, a spacious Mm. presence that can hold all of it. Yeah. And that idea of, you call this a spiritual bypassing and this idea of kind of numbing out. I think from what I'm hearing you say, that's, that's happening maybe it's like avoiding that whole top layer almost. It's just kind of like pushing it to a side and avoiding it. Whereas when you're describing the, this ocean um, like metaphor, it's like you have to get through that stuff, but you have to kind of like stick with it and not just push it to the side, but really experience it fully to get deeper. Is that, is that true? That's right. To sense that we have, there is a stability in every single one of us that we can have Mm -hmm. access to. And right now, Things are, again, we're just, it's so intense, it's so intense, right? So, you know, and at the same time, we long as human beings, we just long for ease. We long for well-being. So that's there too. Like just holding that, like I, this is really uncomfortable right now for millions Mm -hmm. of people, right? So we can just hold that in our own little heart, like, I just long for ease and it's not here right now, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's grief in that because we're not really getting our needs met in that sense. Like I, like our basic need of wanting to feel safe. These are basic human needs, you know, and millions of us are not feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? Mindfulness is a tool for like radical spaciousness mindfulness can hold it all it can hold Mm. the grief of not getting our need for basic need for safety met Mm. 
It can hold our anxiety and all those big giant waves on the surface. And it can also anchor us in our body and help stabilize us and bring clarity and discernment mm. as we need to you know, step forward and make important decisions for our lives, for our careers, for our families. Uh, you know, as we kind of, as we, you know, make decisions in our yeah personal life that may ripple out and, and have greater effect for our communities and for mm. our world. For people, maybe myself included, but for folks who maybe are not always in tune with all of those things that we're experiencing, but not really like processing or acknowledging or, um, appreciating sometimes the idea of doing that can feel a little bit overwhelming and there's Mm -hmm. this sense that to process all of it would require energy that in survival mode and I think a lot of folks right now especially in healthcare feel like they're in survival mode both literally for some folks and sort of metaphorically for others but so what would you say to someone who says this is awesome and once this is all over I'm going to try to be more mindful, but right now I don't have the energy to acknowledge my grief and my anxiety and my fears because other people need me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's such an important, deep question. We're and I think, deep here. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's not any one answer, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, one thing that came to me was like, okay, lots of luck to you because that's the road to burnout, you know, and that, and I know that one because that was me. Like I did not want to acknowledge I was too scary. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, we all just need to make decisions for ourselves and move forward. Sure. And at the same time, you know, mindfulness is also about learning self-regulation skills, meaning that when I do tune into what's here, and if it's too much on any given, you know, level, like I could mindfully check out. I could grab my little kombucha here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know you have your glass of wine. I mean, you know, but you know, there are many different, very healthy, nourishing Mm -hmm. self self nourishing behaviors that don't have to be do with alcohol, of course. Maybe wine isn't the best one. I'm not the best example. (laughs) I know, right? But there are many, you know, like taking that very present and aware shower, you know, Mm -hmm. snuggling up with lots of pillows at night under your favorite blankets, Mm -hmm. smelling the rose in your garden, you know, um, being really present when you're brushing your daughter's hair and Mm -hmm. gazing into her little eyes. Um, So, you know, yes, this is such an important question because there, you know, everybody, you, you, we have to choose this for ourselves, right? We have Mm -hmm. to choose it for ourselves. And to be honest with you, I think on some level, every single one of us has experienced trauma from the past, whether that be familial or cultural or political or, you know, whatever, we've all experienced trauma, trauma with a little T or trauma with a capital T. Mm -hmm. And so anytime we're, you know, engaged in these kinds of practices that actually bring our awareness to the present moment, because our body holds that trauma, 
that it, this is deep work. And it, mm-hmm. if it feels scary, then it can also can help to have like mindfulness-based uh, integral psychotherapy, you know, mm-hmm. if people can have access to that. But, you know, millions of people don't have access to that. It's very expensive in, the, in our culture. And sure. um, so we really just need to do the best, our can, best we can, each of us, knowing too that, you know, there's some amazing retreat centers that are donation-based and um, meaning that, you know, lots of retreats are free of charge and which is wonderful resource for people that might need that kind of stability and community like this um, you might call it a sangha is another word for that and doing this work in community is particularly palpable and I think that's one of the reasons why like for example the mindfulness-based stress reduction approach is particularly uh, demonstrating like you know, profound effects very early on in the program. It's an eight-week program. And by f- the fourth week, they um, were showing like, you know, changes in the structural changes in the brain of people where the wow. frontal lobe is actually expanded and the amygdala is, um, you know, shrinks in size. And I'm, mm. com- it's a very, I'm very simplifying that no, study. That's perfect. That's what we need to Harvard. <laughs> I know. But it's uh, Britta Holtzel through Harvard is that particular okay. study. But I know it was a long-winded answer. So you can no, it's, direct it's perfect. It's perfect. And I think as far as like long-term sort of goals with being more mindful, I think those mm-hmm. uh, retreats and just joining community around this is huge. Mm-hmm. I know as OTs, we value community and we see that uh, just the powerful effects of having bringing people together. And so I know that's really going to resonate. But then something you said before in that answer was this idea of just being attentive to the sensory experience around us. Mm-hmm. And like you said, just like even just making like eye contact with that person who's so close to you and like engaging in that experience or smelling flowers. And I know they always say, you know, stop and smell the roses, but when you were describing some of those sort of sensory experiences and really tuning into those, I also think that that doing that would be a really good next step, even for processing some of these larger emotions, I would imagine, because I know, you know, you know, when you like light candles and you have on the right music and you just feel this like sense of calm, I also find that it brings up emotions a lot of the time too, or, mm-hmm. you know, going out in nature and just breathing in. For me, I breathe in all the pollen and I start sneezing, but sometimes, sometimes I can mm-hmm. also just feel this sense of like, you know, like reminder of other things in my life or, or it brings up good emotion. I guess we can't label emotions, right? It brings up emotions. It's not good or bad. It's just different ones that maybe I didn't expect from just stepping outside. And so, you know, Maybe that's a another next step folks could take. I don't Yeah. Maybe so, feedback on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I love so like labeling things actually can be beneficial. However, okay. mindfulness allows us to recognize when we're labeling it as negative or you know, we call it unpleasant, pleasant, or neutral. So we're, okay, I like that. we're recognizing, right, like, ooh, mm-hmm. you know. Feeling angry, I, it just tends to not feel pleasant to me. But so, but mindfulness allows me to recognize I'm experiencing this as unpleasant, mm-hmm. and it, I tend to want to, uh, you know, push away that experience because it's scary yeah. from my own past, you know, experiences with anger. You know, and we all may have, 
different experiences with different emotions based on our personal, uh, you know, familial interactions, you know, in our past. And so, but, uh, you know, mindfulness is not necessarily going down this whole, you know, it's really of just, okay, this, whatever it is right here, there's sadness here. I'm just becoming aware of it. And then I can also notice, oh, I'm experiencing this as unpleasant. Mm. And then I've noticed, you know, how I, like I might use chocolate sometimes to, to want to kind of numb out from it. And mm-hmm. that's okay too. The cool thing is I can do that mindfully, you know, <laughs> or if, if, you know, things are just really intense and, you know, there's times where I might feel like I'm feeling kind of dissociated and mm-hmm. I'm just aware of it. Like, this is fascinating. Like I'm having a hard time, you know, uh, maybe expressing my needs in a moment because it's particularly stressful. I'm not feeling safe. I can hold all of that in awareness, and it's like an ex- it's like a laboratory, you know, where we but we're doing it with that gentleness and kindness because when if we're judgmental or self-critical, then we want to shut it down and we don't want to participate in it. We want nothing to do with mindfulness if we're going to show up and be hard on ourselves. You know, so that's, that's, that's why these particular attitudes are super essential to this work. That really helps me as far as the labeling goes, especially with, I've always heard, you know, don't label it. And if you, you know, I've always had a really hard time specifically with like meditation practices. It's something that I have probably not put enough time into learning, but whenever I have tried it, I've just had this this sense of wait I'm doing it wrong no, no I just don't, I acknowledge it. I said it was bad I tried to send it away okay but hold on I'm not supposed to do that and sort of this like constant it, it's almost it's exhausting truthfully to be constantly processing all that so I love what you're saying that um, that you can say this is unpleasant for me and I'm gonna cope with it this way mm-hmm. and that's just what I'm doing right now mm-hmm. and we're not evaluating if that's the absolute best way we could be handling things um, yeah. We're just accepting this is what I'm doing and that sort of awareness of it sounds pretty therapeutic in and of itself. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So we're just, no matter what, we're we're not trying to like be somebody else or to mm-hmm. do something because I should be doing that. You know, it's just, wow, this is kind of, this is fascinating, you know, how I'm... Yeah really not feeling safe here and I feel kind of disembodied and now I'm going for the chocolate, you know, or whatever it is. (laughs) Sometimes it could be, okay, I'm going to choose maybe not, I'll just have a little bit of chocolate and then I'm going to go have a nap or listen to music or I'm going to go out and, you know, be under my favorite tree or just gaze outside and see the breeze throw blow through the leaves, you know, mm-hmm. there's like a million different things that we can do to activate that parasympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system response. So it become, you know, which can help for OTs, you know, because we are intellectual people, we know these things. And so it can help to understand mindfulness practice from that context of like, I'm feeling really dysregulated right now. And I, there's many different things I can do. There's, you know, so we have choices Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean I have to sit and do, you know, a 30 minute sitting meditation or body scan. There's a million different things I can do to kind of bring myself back home into my body. 
I think that idea of self-regulation, because you, I feel like you do a really great job of incorporating some of that sort of OT and healthcare lingo, really, um, I feel like you're really good at highlighting how they just fit so well with mindful mm-hmm. practices. And this isn't something that's totally foreign that we have to try to figure out. It really does relate to what we already know. Yeah. Um, and so I think that has a lot of value, especially for, for me and I'm sure for some of the other people listening as well. Yes. Um, and I can hear how much this is um, just brought with wellness to you and, and in your life um, and just how even in the, the example of when you're experiencing those heart palpitations and how it brought physical healing and emotional healing. And I can tell that living a life mindfully is, is very powerful. I'm just also wondering if because of how mindfulness has helped you, if you've actually seen a difference in um, the patients that you work with or the, the clients that you work with, if you can sort of see how your mindful approach actually helps others. Yeah, like on like on every level, right? Because I know because we're such powerful beings, you know, the what we bring and how we bring it, people know, like we can yeah. sense it, right? And they know when you're present and when you're checked out, you know when someone's present or checked out, you know? And it's so refreshing to have somebody that's really there with you and listening to what you're saying, you know, and a lot of the work that I do, like through San Jose State and all the other programs that I teach, there's a, we do a lot of mindful communication work, which is a practice too. And we slow things down and we practice what we would call noble, kind of like a noble silence so that as we start to like, we're practicing conversations together, but without like crosstalk. And we're really, you know, guided to stay really present in our body because Mm -hmm. it's so easy for us. And I think particularly like OTs, you know, and healthcare workers who are super compassionate people, very empathic, their hearts are like wide open. And and it's kind of, uh, can be a real pitfall actually, because we can get drawn into other people's suffering and then we lose our balance, which really reduces our therapeutic use of self. When we, we are constantly being drawn off balance and that we, we almost kind of lose a sense of ourselves and this is dangerous Mm -hmm. burnout territory. And so the mindfulness, which, you know, is also embodiment is really grounding. Like it keeps us super centered in our own experience. So even in like in the trainings that I do, you know, where we're working on like to what degree can we stay aware of our own body while someone else is speaking? Mm. And, you know, and then when they're done, we just pause for a moment, just really tune in. What is, you know, what's here for me right here in this moment? now that that person has shared all that they shared, or now that I shared all that I shared. And, you know, so we're just, yeah, really staying uh, and building that awareness of our own experience so that we don't, or when we notice we are being drawn into someone else's experience, we can, you know, draw it back in. We can kind of reel that back in gently as also a practice of compassion. Mm -hmm. I can 
absolutely relate to that idea that you can, you can also, you can tell when someone else is doing that. Um, and so I know that I've been the therapist that goes into a room and is thinking about how I'm going to finish all my documentation and also how I'm going to come up with um, an intervention that's going to be effective for this person because also the next person who I have to see after them, I've had a really hard time finding effective strategies. And so like my mind is just going and going. And I know that I've gone through whole sessions where I I wasn't truly present. Um, And I, I think what you're speaking to is this, yeah, is this idea that, that other people can tell, but that you're right. Like if, we, if we're not being fully present, then that therapeutic use of self, which I think is one of our most valuable tools, mm-hmm. is no longer as useful, right? Because it's we're not fully there, so we can't use use it fully. Um, I think that really relates. And if you can't tell, I've been kind of going through different sort of things. I I think listeners might be saying to themselves as they, as they mm-hmm. hear like you know, well, this is good, but right now I just need to help other people. Well, now we've shown that being mindful can actually help others. And so a great way to help others is to truly help yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of broaden it a little bit, like it's really about the human connection, you know, like how can I connect with this human being who, you know, is in my midst right now, it's, again, it kind of re- leans back into the gratitude and the wonder and the awe piece of it because this is so fleeting, you know, and we're so fragile. I don't know if I'm going to be awake tomorrow, but I am right here. I'm here right now. And I can feel what it feels like to be alive in my body. I can see you and it's extraordinary. So how can I, to whatever degree I'm able to really, you know, see that person as you know a human being that's just doing the best they can to get through and yes you have to you know you're gonna you have notes to write you have um goals to meet and of you know of course we can rely on all that amazing structure that's in a part of the system and a part of our daily work and at the same time like the potent medicine that we can bring is in our presence is actually being fully there with each client or patient that or loved one that or ourselves and so that's the key is actually for us to really fully be able to be there for that other person we have to be practicing it for ourselves really ultimately first you know we can't transplant it and say i'm going to be present because they need me to be present it's doesn't really work that well that way where it's you know oh I've really practiced being present for myself I know how this feels and it feels good you know to be here for me and so now from this place of being grounded in my own experience then I can bring that to others that's really good well you've talked about a little bit kind of hinted that you teach courses about mindfulness and mindfulness-based healthcare. And one in particular that I'm excited to hear more about is the mindfulness-based healthcare and human services. It's a certificate program. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Advanced certificate. Okay. And that's at San Jose State University. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Clarify for me, is this an online program or is it hybrid? Mm -hmm. It's all online. Mm-hmm. So people from all over the world could join in. 
That's right. Tell us more about what people could expect from that. So if this conversation is really resonating with them and they want to learn more and they want to really start engaging themselves in these mindful practices. Um, and, and, you know, is this a good next step for them? Um, and what would they expect from the program if they were to enroll? Yeah. So I feel like I will definitely go into that. I, I want to just set it up a little bit just to say that, you know, I've been teaching at San Jose State University since 2004. And then I was, I got to the point where all I wanted to teach was mindfulness. So I, I went to the department and they said, well, bring, you know, bring MBSR to the faculty. And I did, and they, they saw it immediately, just as I did the value. And amazingly, because I think this is super unique, but San Jose State University keeps a one course open for emerging practice area. And so they, yeah, gave me this opportunity to just teach mindfulness-based stress reduction um, for an entire semester. And I've been doing that since 2008. So I've taught hundreds of of master's level OT Mm -hmm. students, basically mindfulness-based stress reduction. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, as you can imagine, the student evaluations of like, not just teacher effectiveness, but a program effectiveness. It's just extraordinary to, yeah. to hear every single semester. The outcomes are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had people reach out to say, oh, you know, I'm not at San Jose State University, but I would really like to participate in a program like that mm-hmm. and get training. And, you know, while of course you could go and get training in mindfulness-based stress reduction, and by all means, I highly recommend it. It's one of the greatest gifts of my life. That is a many year process and some people don't have that time. And to be honest with you, mindfulness is so deeply healing that it needs to come into our culture in every single way possible. Mm -hmm. And it is, which is extraordinary. And so in what way can I also contribute to not just the course I was teaching in OT, but to broaden it to a broader Mm -hmm. audience, global audience and San Jose State University has been just extraordinary in supporting the you know the development and the launch of this program and it's a three semester online program and we have three incredible instructors um, and they are clearly very skilled in what they do we so people can go on and apply right now to the program what kind of is the structure of the courses? Is it an experience that's all synchronous? Is it asynchronous? And um, is it, you know, very practice activity based? Um, mm-hmm. Is it more theoretical? Can you kind of give us a sense of what the what the outline of the curriculum might look like? Yes. Mm-hmm. So yes, of course. So the first course is focused on really integrating mindfulness into our own lives, mm-hmm. and at the same time, we're occupational beings we work. So we, you know, so being able to integrate mindfulness right away in our work is definitely a a huge part of the program. And because we will be in a community of others and there will be mentorships and practice partnerships that will have lots of opportunity to brainstorm and talk about, you know, maybe difficulties and how we're working with that on integrating mindfulness more explicitly in our lives and which includes our work however that first course is definitely about integrating it into our lives so we have an embodied experience of what that is the second course is really about that and we spoke to i spoke to this a little bit earlier which is that interoccupational 
relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's like really integrating mindfulness at the point of contact of when we're engaging in daily occupations. Again, this is we're again it could it's work also. So we're just a little it's starting to shift, you know, from the self and more explicitly into work. And then the third course is really explicitly now integrating like and even developing programs that we would bring to the work, whether that be directly for client or patient care or maybe team building work or some other kind of contextual um, project. But um, again, it's super inspiring because we all get to be on the journey together and seeing how everyone else is integrating mindfulness into their their work. And then, um, so that's called the Capstone Project. So it's really about, yeah, really explicitly integrating mindfulness. So those are the three courses. Yeah, it's exciting. Very exciting. And so is this the first time you're offering it online or you've been offering it online for some time? It was hybrid initially. And so we had a, you know, a five day retreat that was in person, but it's super, I mean, you know, particularly now. So I'm grateful that we, you know, shifted even before this pandemic started, but um, it was, it's just too difficult for people from coming all over the, the world, of course, to come to California for that five day retreat. So yeah, we've yeah, just really focused it on those online program, those courses. And even, you know, we know in research that the outcomes of mindfulness, even in online programs, is still extraordinary. So, yeah. mm-hmm. And it's really accessible for people who are working full-time. And That's right. don't know how they would do another thing in their That's life. Right. But this feels like a really accessible way to do it. And yeah. Um, just that it sounds like through this program, you build a lot of community because you are doing hard work together mm-hmm. and it's very personal. And so that opportunity to really share in that with other people um, mm-hmm. sounds therapeutic in and of itself. In addition to all of the um, really practical, um, you know, experiences that, that the students are getting that they can directly apply to their own lives. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was looking at the website and it looks like applications are due July 1st for this right. fall. That's right. So if people want to make a move now to yeah. take that next step, July 1st, 2020, if you're listening to this in the future, uh, look for next year's, but um, yeah. July 1st, 2020 is the deadline. Yeah. And you said, I know there's multiple instructors, which is really great because I think you get lots of different perspectives and experiences and that can just make it an even fuller experience. And they were actually going to be joining us today, but at the last minute we had a little change of plan. Mm -hmm. Can you just give us a little uh, bit of background about the other instructors so we know kind of all the Mm -hmm. different perspectives coming to this? Absolutely. Yeah. Melissa Sutor is extraordinary. Uh, She is the founder of a nonprofit organization called the Dragonfly Healing Center.org. And it is really focused on integrating and reaching people of color and marginalized peoples and integrating mindfulness for, um, yeah, our more vulnerable populations. So, just love her work in that area. She's also trained in to teach mindfulness-based stress reduction, and she teaches at Kaiser um, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction at Kaiser in Maui, wow. and um, that's her home base. Yeah, and okay. and we, she and I have led. We've known each other for many years, and she, we've led retreats together. Um, 
both at 1440 Multiversity in Scotts Valley, California, which mm. was, um, yeah, a great gift to be able to, you know, it's been a great gift to teach with her. And then Dr. Megan Chang is all about mindfulness research and she's brilliant and she is really extraordinary too with like, you know, the whole like developing programs and protocol around like structuring how we would bring mindfulness more explicitly into work. So I love, so she's going to be co-teaching the third course with me. And yeah, she's brilliant. And she's doing some incredible research at San Jose State University, where the university have even uh, created like a um, sensory, uh, a space where, you know, it's like a soundproof room and they're doing research of like pre and post tests for OT students after having engaged in mindfulness meditation and the biofeedback. So she's doing uh, some really incredible research that's been funded through National Institutes of Health through a grant. And uh, she's just brilliant. So I'm just so delighted that she's on the, on our teaching team as well. That's an incredible team. And yeah. uh, I love, so two OTs. Yeah, we're all well. OTs. So OT, oh, all, all three OTs. of your OTs. Oh, well, wait a second. Melissa's not an OT. Okay. Yeah, she's a counseling psychologist. Um, yeah, yeah. So having the kind of interdisciplinary perspectives, but with OTs yeah. having um, a major role in it as well. Um, it's yeah. pretty cool to see kind of in this arena and really um, yeah. making those connections between mindfulness and ourselves as occupational beings. And something I love that you said at the beginning yeah. was um, – it's not just about human doing, um, mm-hmm. because if it ended there, uh, there wouldn't be a whole lot of meaning in that. Um, mm-hmm. And I love, I love um, Wilcox's model of, of like doing, being, becoming, belonging, and that progression. And I can just, I, it keeps coming back to me as we've been talking, um, just, just seeing that progression and how mindfulness plays such a huge role in achieving that level of, of like belonging. Um, because it's hard to belong when we're disembodied yeah. and we're not even kind of whole ourselves. It's hard to bring a, a fragmented self to fully belong. Yes, that's right. And I see that, you know, in some level we're, we're kind of, we kind of swim upstream as we begin to integrate mindfulness because again, this cultural dynamic, which really perpetuates disembodiment you know and just not being present and it perpetuates anxiety and all of these things and so we are we do kind of swim upstream however that's the curriculum so whatever is here is you know awareness is spacious enough to hold all of it no matter what and there's that belonging piece like no matter what i am i am worthy of this moment i'm worthy of showing up for myself Mm -hmm. here and that's beautiful. I love how you brought that in with the yeah, yeah meaningful progression. <laughs> so I know that we are going to record a separate guided mindfulness practice. Is that what you call it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be available as a separate recording so that people can easily play it over and over again without having mm-hmm. to... Um, fast forward to the end of the episode every time they want to go through it together. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So before we get to that, I'm so excited to have that as a resource for myself. And I know that that's just going to be so valuable for the people listening. Um, I think as we've kind of talked about throughout this interview, we can want to make a change and we can hear the value and feel refreshed. I mean, I feel refreshed just hearing how mindfulness has helped you. So, and I'm not, you know, even haven't practiced any of the suggestions yet, Um, but I already feel so refreshed by just talking about it. And so I love that we're creating this just little resource that is going to be so valuable and that people can keep coming back to as they try to um, just integrate this this thought pattern and and rewire their brains um, as we've talked about before we get to that though um, I have some some kind of closing questions that I ask every guest Mm -hmm. Um, I love reading and I love finding a good book and I know that um, there's just a wealth of knowledge about mindfulness out there so if you had to choose one or two book recommendations for folks about mindfulness um, what would you recommend that's a great question. There's so many, but uh, just for a couple, you know, John Kabat-Zinn is, is like my, one of my dear teachers and mentors. And so one of his books, uh, Full Catastrophe Living is very mm-hmm. meaningful for these times. So I highly recommend that one. Another one that is super meaningful for healthcare workers is called Standing at the Edge. And that's by Joan Halifax. And that, uh, yeah, that's extraordinary. Uh, let's see. Overwhelm people. I know there's so many. I think mm-hmm. it's good to have a starting point. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's so great that we can just go to Amazon and search a topic and find books yes. on that topic. But then when there's hundreds, um, yeah. then we get exhausted by needing to kind of figure out which ones are the best resources. Yeah. And so I love asking people that question because it sort of curates the list for us. Um, yeah. It now comes on a good recommendation that these are two good ones to start with, and then from there yeah. kind of expand out. Um, yes. So today, while we were talking, you know, I always uncork a bottle of wine with our hot topics. What were you drinking yeah. today, though? I had my little kombucha. Mm-hmm. I think it's called cran. It's like cranberry ginger or something like that. It's so delicious. Oh, that sounds really good. I love anything with ginger in it. <laughs> so I am drinking a red wine, which should come as no surprise to listeners because I love red wine. Um, but I chose this one. I always try to make it themed to the episodes as well. And so today I am drinking um, a Cabernet Sauvignon from Spiral Cellars. Okay. Mm. I chose it because I, I was, I was thinking this idea of mindfulness, like being present and what's kind of, what can be something that prevents us from getting to a mindful state. And spiraling, I think is something that popped into my mind. So it was awesome that I found this wine that's from Spiral Cellars. Um, and I actually, yeah. I love looking at wine labels. And so I actually want to read the back of it to you and just, just to kind of bring this full circle. It says, yeah. as humanity's oldest symbol, the spiral represents eternal change, reminding us that life is not a straight line. It symbolizes new beginnings, renewal, and hope for the future. And then it says our wines are the celebration of our quest for growth and love of life. Um, and so even though I originally chose it because I felt like we spiral out of control um, mm-hmm. and our, our minds, we, we have a hard time. It's like 
I imagine down the center of the spiral is sort of being present and mindful, but the spiral is everywhere else except for in that present moment. It's it's like avoiding it at all costs. Um, but then when I ended up reading the back of it, actually, once I got home, I read the back of it. And that just really, um, I never knew a wine bottle could be so touching, but I felt like that really mm-hmm. um, captured it and uh, mm-hmm. relates to some of the conversation we've had today. So It does. It's beautiful. It's like holding, it's the... Uh, it's this and that, right? It's all of it. So I love how it doesn't, you know, spiral initially had a certain feeling tone to it, but it has this whole other beautiful connection with everything, right? The universe and cosmos and yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, So I feel like I I could not have picked out a better wine if I don't, if I, you know, if I can say so myself. Um, Yeah. And just for the wine lovers listening, I'll just give a quick little review of it. Okay. Great. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, this is a Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, it's on the drier side and kind of bold, which tends to be my comfort zone as far as wines go. Um, and as I was drinking it, it had some some really strong notes of like tobacco and oak, which for people who don't typically drink red wines and also don't like tobacco, that can seem like a really abrasive flavor that you wouldn't want. Um, but the way it's incorporated here. Um, it's just it's just enough to provide that really rich flavor and it's not overwhelming at all. So I don't want that to scare anybody away. And it also has strong notes of, I think I already said oak, but then also like some darker fruits. So I'm not still not very skilled at identifying the different fruits, um, but definitely more of like that plummy blackberry, kind of like those really darker fruits. And you can see it in the color as well. Um, so I really enjoyed it. And it's interesting because I think reflecting on some of the flavors and the texture of it um, is a way that I actually, maybe that is a way I practice mindfulness when I drink wine. I love to process the flavors and the experience and the way it, the flavor changes as it goes into my mouth and as I swallow it. Yes, absolutely, Miranda. You've just done, yeah, this beautiful mindful eating exercise. And in a similar way that you just tasted that wine, like we can taste everything. Like we can taste this moment. Like I can feel this air on my skin. I can feel my feet on the floor. I can hear the sounds, you know, that I'm in, where I'm at. So what are you bathing in? You know, it's like this question of, and we can taste everything. Our whole life is right here to taste. It's beautiful how you describe that. Well, and I know you already pointed us to the website, but last thing before we uh, move on to that mindfulness exercise, how could listeners reach out to you with questions either about the program or just about your mindful practices? Um, You're such a wealth of knowledge. You know, how can they reach out to you for more of that? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, so San Jose State's program would be, you can find that at sjsu.edu backslash mindfulness. And you can find all the links there and including contact page. And that goes to me. So I'm happy to, you know, connect with you and answer any questions you may have. And then I'd love to let you know, <clears throat> excuse me, that I'll be teaching starting tomorrow. Uh, I've got three free of charge mindfulness programs that um, I'm been d- developing and launching through the National Center for Equine Facilitated Therapy. And so that website is ncef.org. 
and you can you'll see the mindfulness programs link there but definitely reach out if you're interested in that and then you can also find me at rochellemclaughlin.com and i'm working with empowering women um, and using this the school this the tools of mindfulness and embodiment um, to yeah empower women and bring them to their voice as agents for meaningful change in the world I love that. And I think that could be a whole nother episode. That's so okay. cool. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> be happy to come back on. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all of your wisdom today. And um, just even the, your your way with words of just describing these experiences show just how much richer life can be when we live it more mindfully. So thank you for sharing that with us um, and allowing us to um, just have that experience and hopefully move on from here. Um, with some of these practical tips in mind. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been an honor to be here. And thank you, Miranda, for having me. I can't fully express how much I enjoyed my time talking with Rochelle. Even just being in her presence virtually was so calming and her words of wisdom just continue to resonate with me even weeks after recording this interview. She mentions a lot of great resources, so check them out in the show notes and let me know through Instagram, Facebook, or otuncorked.com which were your favorite resources. After the interview, Rochelle guided me through a mindfulness exercise that we recorded so that you all could enjoy the benefits as well. You can find the recorded session wherever you found this episode, and I really hope you'll enjoy it and play it whenever you need that mindful reset in your day. Now more than ever, I think we all need to live more mindfully, and especially recently as we are all reminded and really just feeling the weight of the ongoing oppression of our brothers and sisters and neighbors of color. um, Just living mindfully, I think, can really help us connect with each other and evoke real change. And Rochelle talks about the power of her work as a form of activism, and I think we can learn a lot from this perspective too. So I encourage you to check out her website, which is linked in the show notes, and consider enrolling in her online course this fall at San Jose State University. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of OT Uncorked. Please consider reviewing OT Uncorked on your favorite podcast player and Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at OTUncorked or on our website, otuncorked.com. Cheers! Cheers!